A vision without execution is just a dream. Welcome to Transformative Experts with Chris Elias. Like the show title says, Chris speaks with transformative experts and business leaders who share their successes, failures, and leadership tips that will help you transform your business into a success story. Now, here's your host, Chris Elias. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Transformative Experts. I'm Chris Elias. I'm your host today, and I have a really fun guest with us today. Michael Olasso is joining us. Uh, Michael is an actor, a director, a choreographer, a public speaker, many, many other things. He's in the business of show business, and uh, he he not only acts and directs and, and all the other things, but he also helps a lot of business people out. Right, Michael? Correct, Chris. It's called You on Your Best Day, brother. Uh, my program, my company is You and Your Best Day. Those same skills that I work on with actors and, and directors and choreographers, I've translated to business. So it's all about how business people heighten their self-awareness and communicate and lead better through the same techniques that I help actors with. Yeah, and that's great. And so we're going to be able to share some of some of that, obviously, with all of all of you today to get something to take home and, and start putting into practice. But before we go there, how did you even get to where you are today? There are two parts of Italy. One's called Calabria, which is way down the south near Sicily, Sicilia. And there's another in the middle of the country called Abruzzi. And these nice people mated and created a bunch of children in each of those parts of Italy. Then they came over and they went to Ellis Island and they had another kid, each of these two lovely couples that was born in the United States. Those two kids were my parents. So my mom is from an Abruzzese family and my dad is from a Calabrese family. And Chris, being Greek Orthodox, you can appreciate this. It's Italy is a very racist country. And so what happens is the further north you get, the lighter the skin. And there is discrimination. And so my mother's family, when she brought home my dad and darker skin and calabres, Ooh, no, 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 no. Testadora. Testadora. That means hardhead. And, well, against my grandparents' protestations, my mom married my dad. And here I am. That's how I got created uh, through two people who are so grateful to be American, who's my grandparents, I never met my granddad's because both of my parents were the youngest of their family. And both my grandmothers were feeble, old people who spoke this weird combination of English and Italian that was no real language that one could ever decipher. Then all grateful to be in our wonderful country. And so that's how I got to be. So happy to be in America from two people who believed in the American dream, Neither of them graduated from high school and all they wanted was for their kids to have anything they wanted through education, all about education. I'm the middle of three boys. Both of my brothers are these big, gigantic jocks, three sports superstars. And then there's me. I'm this nerdy, skinny geek in the middle who decided that theater would be my drum to beat that would be different what was your first what was your first acting gig (laughs) you have to understand where i grew up in arlington massachusetts boys didn't do theater oh no not at all not down there not at all you got that all right yeah and so it took me till my senior year in high school chris I mean, talk about not having courage. I knew I loved this thing, but I didn't have the courage to do theater until my senior year of high school. Nowadays, I would be, my career would be over way too late. 17, you're already over the hill, brother, the way these kids start. And why did I even start then? Because I had a pretty girlfriend. That was so, the only thing. So that she got you the- into it. So was she in theater? Not as much as I, it was more a matter of self-esteem building Uh that then I could deal with the name calling because you got called names if you did theater. 
It wasn't cool. And so then, because I had a pretty girlfriend, I, the name calling, go ahead. I got a prettier girlfriend than you. And so the first play I did senior year was a rock version of Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream. That was the very first play I acted in the beginning of my senior year in high school. And the adrenaline started pumping. And I've never stopped since that day. So, so where'd you go from high school? You, you know, so here we are and you've gotten this one gig, your adrenaline's going, but you don't just go out and all of a sudden you're in movies and winning Oscars. What was the, what was next? I got a comparative guide to American colleges and I was a snooty little academic kid and I would only look at the most selective colleges in the country. I wouldn't look at any other category. And then I looked at that little tiny list and I looked at any of them that offered theater majors. And I also, because I'm a middle-class, borderline, lower middle-class, not having much money kid, I had to find a school where I could commute. And that brought it down to two universities in the world, Brandeis University and Tufts University. I applied to them both and thought Tufts University was old and crawling with ivy, and why would anyone want to go to a place like that? So I went to the place that looked all cool with California-style buildings. Um, I, had, I think there was one Jew in my graduating class, and so I went to the largest non-sectarian Jewish university in the country and suddenly uh, became immersed in a whole new world at 18 at Brandeis University, where I majored in theater and my whole life changed. Outstanding. And so, um, well, so what did your parents think about that? We are so often a huge piece of who our parents are. And you would think my parents, because of their low education, because of their old fashioned values would have thought horribly of it. And here I was the smart one. I should have been a doctor, a lawyer, um, I suddenly made my parents Jewish. That was interesting. It was, it, they were completely supportive. They were unconditionally supportive in whatever it is that I wanted to do. And it's funny, no one's ever asked me that question before. You would think it's, you know, I don't want to give you too much credit, Chris, but no one's ever asked me that before. And I'm having kind of a big aha right now. They'd put no roadblocks to that at all. That's what you want to do. Go. They thought I was a big mouth. They thought it was a show off. So they thought that was a pretty appropriate place, even though they wanted their dream would have been that I would have gone to law school, probably more than doctor because they knew I didn't like ooky stuff, but I sure could talk and do discourse. Yeah. I think it's important for parents to, to support the future of their kids. And it's, it's funny. I, as a parent myself and a having a daughter in school, I'm being very supportive of what she wants to follow, but I still think, Oh man, there are certain professions, you know, I, I with everything we've invested, I hope she goes this way. I hope she goes that way. And, um, but I think it's great that you were given that. So, okay. So, um, we get out of college, move to the West coast, move to New York. I mean, where did you go with your acting career and how did that lead you into directing? You, you, you're smarter than you're giving yourself credit for because you, that, that paragraph you just said about your daughter was ex resonated for me. So what I did for the next decade was I was a high school drama teacher. And that conversation that you just said with your daughter, I had with parent after parent after parent. And I coached kids to go to bachelor of fine arts programs so that they could get into theater school, which was one step more elaborate than what I did. So I got a BA, Bachelor of Arts. If you really want to be an actor and do what you just said, go to Hollywood, go to New York, you get a Bachelor of Fine Arts, which means you're taking one academic class a semester and then you're taking sight singing, tap, directing, acting, mask work. You're totally immersed in the experience of theater. Well, at Brandeis, I was taking that, but I was also taking Italian, Spanish, French, history, calculus. So what I wanted to do. And I, my senior year decided, yep, I'm going to student teach because I really want to direct and I want to direct kids. So I student taught and then for 10 years, immersed myself as a high school drama teacher, competitive, 
drama festivals, winning drama festivals, coaching kids, preparing them to think about a career, going to college, getting a Bachelor of Fine Arts, having those conversations with parents. So the directing really just came as a natural offshoot because you ended up kind of on the other side of the coin in a way, and you were taking what you learned from acting. And that directing has let you, led you into directing speakers, directing people in business. Um, why that direction? Why not directing movies? Why not directing other things? I've done all that. I've directed movies. I've directed other things. All I care about is making a difference in the world, Chris, and, and I want to do that however I'm going to be the most effective. And so much of what's happened to me is a result of other people seeing the excellence in me. So this is payback time for me. Uh, I'm, I'm only coaching executives because I'd be standing on a stage giving a curtain speech Curtain speech is telling the audience this great play you're about to see that I directed or some director I hired is directing. People would watch that and say, hey, can I have a piece of that? I want to learn how to do that. Or can you come work with my company on that? What? I'd never done that before. What are you talking about? I coach actors. I'm a director. And because other people were visionaries, not I, and said, will you come do this? Man, did I realize that. You know, my last year of teaching, one of my last years of teaching, I was running a rehearsal, and one of the parents, I let parents watch my rehearsals all the time, and one of the parents in watching turned out to be the corporate shrink for a major utility company in New England and the UK, and he came up to me and he said, look, I watched how you coach my daughter and her peers. I'm having trouble with the CEO of my company. Can you translate that coaching style to my CEO? And Chris, I have trouble with the no word. I said, yes, they brought me in. HR interviewed me for three hours on straight back chairs. The end of the three hours, they not only gave me the CEO to coach, but the nine VPs in line to be the next CEO of the company. And the rest is history. All because of a drama rehearsal. Uh, A question that I have, uh, so I've got this image of the HR people in the straight back chairs and have experienced (laughs) that myself, and not just HR, for those of you who are in HR out there, the the old, we're we're, we're talking old school right now. I think before HR was HR, it used to be personnel, used to have to go and sit in front of personnel. And um, and so I have this image in, okay, where where you met with a bunch of skepticism, like who is this guy and why are we even talking to him? Yes, absolutely. To start out with. So it's, it's about conversion. You know, I love that you call this transformative experts. It's we, what we do in theater is transformation is a big word. We call it immersion. Actors don't pretend to be the role. They immerse themselves in the role. We bring our authentic selves along for the ride and then add other layers. So similarly, with these skeptics, this HR team that was skeptical, I'm watching them and I am watching them immerse themselves in the role of people who really care about their executives and want to make a difference in their lives. And the transformative moment was that they said, yep, not only are you going to coach the CEO, we want you to coach the whole team. And Chris, the rest is history. Rest is history. So you sold them is, is what happened. They, they, they bought into what you had. So, you know, it wasn't just your charming, um, you know, your, your charming demeanor. It, it was something that, that, that really connected with them. And so why, why did they feel like they needed the help of a director, of an acting director, as a, sh- a showman? Why was, why was that needed for this particular CEO? You have to be the thing you say you are. And what happens is many people say in words one thing, and then you watch what they're doing and it doesn't match. What my secret sauce is, don't just listen to what I say, watch what I do. And so in that, probably the most important interview of my whole life, what I was doing in that moment was I was being the thing I said I was going to do for the CEO. And I was doing it for them in that room. I was giving them feedback 
watching their responses and building on their responses. Yeah, it's funny. We've always said that that um, one of the aspects of a CEO's job is to be an actor. I mean, there is a certain element of acting that's involved. And so I want to explore this with you much, much deeper. We're already up on our first break. So uh, folks, stay tuned. We will be back in just one minute with Michael Alasa. America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Is your company or team struggling to achieve the results you would like? Optimize your life, your team, and your organization through clarity, purpose, and action. At Mexicute, we have over 100 years of combined experience leading organizations and coaching individuals to achieve their vision. We design a customized approach to ensure successful execution and optimize your results. Connect better. Grow better. For a free consultation with Chris Elias, visit nexecutegroup.com. That's N-E-X-E-C-U-T-E group.com. True results happen where culture meets execution. The Execution Culture, co-written by our host, Chris Elias, is designed to make your company smarter, faster, and stronger by sharing real-world advice on culture, leadership, and execution. It's time to transform your business with the help of the Execution Culture. The book is available now on Amazon. Click the link on the show page. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. This is Transformative Experts with Chris Elias. If you have a question or a comment about the show, please send an email to listener at transformativeexperts.com. Now, back to Transformative Experts. And we are back with my guest, Michael Alasso. So, Michael, when we left off just a few minutes ago, uh, we were talking about CEO being an acting profession, right? And somebody once told me that, and my first response is acting, you know, it, that's just pretending. You know, can CEOs afford to pretend? So, ah, yeah, so Dr. tell me. Elias. Tell me a little bit more. Tell me about acting and acting as a CEO. Look it up in the dictionary. Acting has nothing to do with pretense. Oh, some Webster's does have it as the fifth or sixth preferred definition. You're a Latin scholar, Chris. What does acting mean? It comes from the same root as action. It means to do, to perform, not to pretend. You know, we call actors who pretend unemployed. We don't hire them. So that's a great challenge. And of course, that's what the HR team, that's what their belief was at the beginning. But think about, Chris, if I asked you to make a list of skills and talents actors at the top of their game had, you know, so if I said, all right, give me a, give me a skill or a talent, an actor at the top of his or her game possesses, give me one skill. Oh, I, I think the ability to, to have somebody believe in what they're doing. All right. So you started right at the top. Speaks to your excellence. Believability. So bottom line is believability. You got to believe their performance. It's a question I ask groups all the time. And on the list, that's the most important word. Other words on the list people put adaptability, vocal skills, uh, nonverbal, body language, uh, perseverance, confidence courage. Now, after we make that big list, but I look to the ex- team of executives, I say, okay, if we're making a list of skills and talents, you need to be outstanding, not good, but outstanding in what you do every day, which one or ones of these will we delete from the list because you don't need them at all? And Chris, which ones do we delete, do you think? I don't know. Help me out here, Michael. Because they all Zero. sound really important. Right. No, yeah. Chris, trust your instincts. Don't be so risk averse. That's on the list. Risk taking. <laughs> you know, yes, all of them. You are actors. You're acting from the minute you pull your car in the parking lot in the morning. No, notice that on the list are, are, are making funny faces in the camera. You know, tap skills. No, it's the things that we talked about. And that's where I have made my living is bringing those same skills and qualities to executives. It's showtime. As long as we understand the show is you on your best day. 
It's not you on Chris Elias's best day, you on Michael Olasso's best day. It's you on your best day. So the service I provide is to help people find who they are, heighten their self-awareness so that they can bring their best self every moment of every day. And right now, Chris, the big challenge is, of course, there's no separation between Act 1 and Act 2. So Act 1 is our business life. Act 2 is our private life. And right now, there is no intermission between the two. Those of us who are working from home, I finish this interview with you, I walk out of my office, and there's Peggy. If I came to Detroit, you know, I'd go downtown after my, my interview with you. I'd go to the Shinola store, I'd go to John Barbados, go to Greektown, and then I'd find a little coffee shop and call Peggy when I'm good and ready. Today, no separation. So now it's showtime in act one and act two all the time. And that's exhausting. It is absolutely exhausting. So what I help CEOs and other executives to do is find where the time's out are. Where do you go in your trailer and close the door? Just like in a movie, you go in your trailer, close the door. We need those times, but that time can't be when you have dinner with your daughter tonight, Chris. That can't be when you're down and off. That's more important that you're in showtime mode than now interviewing me or when you're speaking to a group of executives. That's a challenging thing right now. Act one and act two are on top of each other. Yeah, you know, it's it, it's an interesting, um, real interesting analogy because I was thinking about this the other day. I was having this conversation with another friend of mine who's also a consultant. And, you know, pre-COVID, we were on airplanes all the time. You know, I was traveling every single week. If I'm spending three days delivering work, I'm spending two days on an airplane. Then I come home, the weekend's here. Today, it's it's as you said. I Like you, I'll finish this interview and I've got a little bit more work to do and then we'll go upstairs and we've actually been taking some time and doing kind of a, a, a purging of all the junk, cleaning the house out like we do typically this time of year. And, and there is no break in the action, none whatsoever. I don't have that two hours of a plane flight to just you know, take that breath and, and, and calm down. It's, it's like we're on all the time. And uh, I have to tell you, it's, it's tiring. It's tiring. It feels like you never get any mental um, revitalization happening. I'm more exhausted at the end of these days than if I had flown to Detroit, did a half day, and then at lunch flew to LA, had dinner with a client, go to the theater, go back to my hotel, do prep for the next day. I still have energy. On these days, and by dinner time, all I want to do is eat, watch Jeopardy, and veg. It's, it's, it's a whole side of Michael I didn't even know existed. But staring at a screen all day is pretty hard. And so that we need buy-in from our families to do that, but our families shouldn't be the losers. You know, no, no iPhone sitting at the table in the evening. No preparing during dinner for the next day. Those moments have to be dedicated to the family. And it's not just because that's the right thing to do, but it fortifies you the next day when you get into act one again. If you don't have a strong act two, act one's hard to deliver the energy. It's amazing how much we we took that time for granted, I think, before. You know, again, the the time on the airplane, the time in the airport, the time in the car and all that, that's, that's all all gone away. So we don't even have that prep time. Uh, I've got a friend, Dan Sullivan, who's got a company, the strategic coach up in Toronto. And, um, you know, one of the things that, that, that I've heard him talk about, I, I can't certainly do it justice the way, the way he does. He talks about the backstage and the front stage and, you know, the backstage is the chaos that happens behind the scenes so that when you're out in front, everybody sees the, the polish, the great performance and the best you can be. And yet you've got to have that backstage. That's the time that, that you have to either prep or get things ready, et cetera. And that time's gone right now, it seems. At least at least in my world. I mean, I don't know how many people are sitting around not filling their time with stuff, but, but that time's gone right now. I would agree with you. Just like you, Those air, because I, on the airplane, I'd sometimes sleep. I'd sometimes do Sudoku. I'd do crosswords. I'd watch a dumbass movie. Um, I would have a conversation with someone whom I'd never met before about topics that I never knew anything about before, gone, all gone, all wiped away. It's item after item after item. It requires more energy, not less. It's a mistake that I think people make, Chris, 
you know, actors, if I, back in the, the 60s, 70s, the myth was that when a theater actor translated to film or TV, they'd be too large, they'd be too dramatic, loud and big gestures. Well, everybody got wind of that. So then what happened in the 80s, 90s, people would come and they would audition for the film like this. They're a theater director and now I'm going to underplay and not have any energy because this is going to be believable on film. No, it isn't. Film, TV, which we're all doing now virtually, requires more energy. It requires a dynamic commitment to that little dot. And that is harder than committing to a room full of people whom you can smell, whom you can really look in their eyes, where you can see their shoes. I miss looking at shoes. Shoes empower me. No more shoes. It's tough. And instead of whining about it, what I'm doing now is that, like Brene Brown says, you pivot, you change. And I now am making people come alive on the screen. Let's not make the screen an obstacle. Let's make it an opportunity. How do we do that? How do we make that happen then? Okay, so you've got a uh, uh, you got you've got a, a CEO who is having to communicate. They're trying to they're trying to maintain their culture. So one of the things that I consider important with culture is this concept: the culture starts top down, and it's driven, and it's felt, and it's engaged. And yet, we have to maintain culture on these little tiny screens and looking at, at dots. And if there's a group that's there, I mean, I've, I've spoken where there's 20 people in a room all at once and you, you can't see who's who. How do you, how do you translate that? What, what are some of the steps and the key aspects of translating uh, your message in a manner that, that you get the people on the other side on another screen engaged as opposed to, well, I'm gonna, this is a few minutes, do my email, you know, get some other things done. Start by getting rid of that sentence you just said, you can't see who's who. Make sure you see who's who. Now, of course, Zoom and virtual is easier if everybody's at home. As you and I both know, we're dealing with these hybrids, which are harder when the people are in the room. You must see people as individuals. First and foremost, you got to see people as individuals. And how do you, how do you start doing that? I believe in warm-ups. No, I'm a theater guy. So I believe you wake up in the morning, you got to have a ritual. What's your ritual that gets you in the zone? And mine is, mine's, I can tell you, mine, Chris, and people can make up their own. Mine's five-pronged. As I told you, you know, my dad, my dad, blue-collar family, my dad was a fireman. And the one thing he taught me was when the alarm clock goes off, you get up. So to this day, I never need a second alarm. My wife, Peggy, the alarm clock, is a suggestion. She's neither awake nor asleep. Either set it later and get up later or get up. It's so easy. Two, I do something physical immediately. I do jumping jacks. I do crunches. I dance. It's been hard to do that during the lockdown because Bridie crawls all over me and kisses me. Bridie's not my wife. It's a soft-coated Wheaton Terrier. So here I've been putting a collar and a leash on her and we go squirrel chasing. Let's go. Physical. Yep. Three, I pray. Not proselytizing prayer. I need something bigger than myself. Some people do yoga, meditation. Four, I do vocal warm-ups. This is my gift. As you said, I'm a speaker. If I can't speak, what good am I? So I've hurt my voice. I've damaged it in the past. I do vocal warm-ups. In fact, when I'm on the road, I call Peggy, my wife, and have a nice conversation with her. Not one where I complain about the hotel or give her a list of things to do. Now, that gets me in the zone What I recommend for CEOs and other high-level executives, what's your version of that? What's your prep so that you can get in the zone? Two, once you get in the zone, Chris, you got to look at people. You got to observe people. And what I call it, I call it beauty gathering. I think you need to go out in the world and gather beauty. So when you're sitting on that screen, I want you to be looking at what you see. Observe, listen, gather the beauty And then report the beauty that you see. And once you report the beauty that you see, not only will the people on the screen start engaging, you start engaging. Gives you something to do. Gives you something active to do. Now, you can't do that unless you're prepared. And you know how I feel about this. Structure frees creativity. 
If you're not prepared, you can't be creative in the moment. You can't start doing what I said in the moment because you're worried about your deck. You're worried about the words you're going to say. What are the three most effective math numbers that I can? Nah, 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 nah. Your preparation is knowing what you want from your audience, getting your body, your mind, your soul, your heart in shape, and then speak authentically like we're doing now. Sometimes that slide deck is, it's almost like having um, binds put on you. I, yeah. I, and so I, I, I really hate it. Right. And, um, you know, people will tell me all the time, I, I'm doing a training here in a few days. And the first thing I said is, well, you know, we want to see your slide deck. Let's do the creation. And I want to tell them that a two hour training has two slides. Love they, it. They want their 30 slides because they want to be able to take it and utilize it as, as the binder. And so I, I think for the art for me is to not get caught up in that level of structure. You know, I think, um, as leaders, we need to be able to be flexible and it's key to know your stuff. It's key to be up there. So what I'm hearing from you is, is, is really important to do your, your preparation ahead of time, be prepared, be warmed up, know your message, know your objective and what, what you're trying to get out of it. And then just get up there and just deliver it as naturally as possible. So instead of um, PowerPoint being what guides your presentation, it's just a prop. Excellent takeaway. You heard correctly. We call them, theater tactical variety. So once you know your objective, you choose tactics. And that, what you just said, is 100% correct. Your slide deck is a tactic. That's all it is. That it is. Well, we are, um, we're already up on our next break. If you can believe that the time really flies. Uh, let's go a little bit deeper than on, on the application. I'd, I'd love when we come back to, to take a few minutes and, and maybe talk about some of the more direct advice and share some examples of some of the, you know, without naming names, obviously, of CEOs that you've worked with and some of the direct advice you've given them and some things that, that maybe could be really solid takeaways for not just CEOs, but any of our leaders that are out there that are, that are struggling, not just with their presence on video, but maybe just with their presence. I mean, presence is important in all aspects. So um, so let's take our break, and we will be back in just a couple minutes. Stay tuned, everyone, and uh, we will be back shortly. Thanks. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. True results happen where culture meets execution. The Execution Culture, co-written by our host, Chris Elias, is designed to make your company smarter, faster, and stronger by sharing real-world advice on culture, leadership, and execution. It's time to transform your business with the help of the Execution Culture. The book is available now on Amazon. Click the link on the show page. Is your company or team struggling to achieve the results you would like? Optimize your life, your team, and your organization through clarity, purpose, and action. At Mexicute, we have over 100 years of combined experience leading organizations and coaching individuals to achieve their vision. We design a customized approach to ensure successful execution and optimize your results. Connect better. Grow better. For a free consultation with Chris Elias, visit nexecutegroup.com. That's N-E-X-E-C-U-T-E group.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. This is Transformative Experts with Chris Elias. If you have a question or a comment about the show, please send an email to listener at transformativeexperts.com. Now, back to Transformative Experts. And we're back one last time with Michael Alasso. So, Michael, when we uh, when we broke off a moment or two ago, we were going to share some um, some advice for for CEOs and, and leaders and people who are out there. And uh, I'd love to know what are what are what are some of the key points you would like to uh, get across right now. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for remembering where we were. I'm proud of you, brother. It's Chris. Do you know the word the term micro messaging? Is that something that you, because I know you're, you're very good with 
understanding the brain and how the human brain works. Do you know that term, micro-messaging? That, that term is not one that I'm specifically familiar with. So, so you know, share, share your definition, please. It's everything other than content. So it is your cool shirt, your cool glasses. It is tone of voice. It's a car you drive. Uh, do you drive a Harley into the parking lot in the morning? Micro-message. Do you drive a Porsche convertible with a top-down music blaring? Micro-message. Do we have badass cowboy boots every day to work? Micro-message. Do I walk in in the morning, go directly to your office, do not pass go, do not say hello, do not collect $200? Micro-message. Do I walk in in the morning, uh, stop by, say hello to people, call them by their name, ask them how their night was? Micro-message. Um, our, our rabbi during high holidays this year, big micro-message. First of all, he's British. And so... It's just so funny to hear Hebrew with a British accent. Baruch Atah Adonai. It's just hysterical right away. What he does that's so brilliant is that every service, he starts it with a joke. And Chris, the joke is funny. It's short. It's appropriate, which most people who tell jokes have trouble with at least one of those three things. And Chris, listen to this. Talking about micro-message. In the sermon, he ties the joke into what his sermon is that day. I mean, that's communication excellence. And so that's a form of micromessage. What you just did, you nodded when I told that story. That's a micromessage. So micromessaging is everything other than content. And a psychologist, was a cover story of psychology today, 60, 65 years ago, said only 7% of communication is content. And then 93% is everything else. So what I help CEOs to do with is help them with their micro messages, help them to be self-aware. And it goes back to that word we said in the earlier set, the authenticity piece, the believability thing that you said. <laughs> do you ever go up to somebody and, and, and give them a note and they answer, this has happened to me pretty regularly. Well, I'm just being myself. And they're being snotty, arrogant, disrespectful. Is that how you define yourself, really? So, Chris, if you tell me your life partner is the most important person in your life, and at the end of this interview, you uh, go directly and answer your emails, then you open your snail mail, go get a snack, and then 45 minutes later, seek out your life partner. Well, I'm going to tell you then, either you're lying about who your authentic self is, or you have to choose the micro-messages that connote that authentic self. So the direct advice I give to CEOs, both for virtually and in person, is we've got to heighten your awareness about your micro-messaging. You, you are sending messages all the time. And what we think is that we say something and people get it, and they don't. And it's, you know, with all this work on virtually, the, the thing that you got to think about is that micro-messages can lie. For example, the people who smile at me a lot, they, I, I love them because that's a micro-message of approval. Well, the truth of the matter is they might have wicked bad gas pains, and that's why they're smiling. So, and some of them do, actually, after they hear me speak. So what I have to do is I have to take an assemblage of micro-messages. I don't take just one. I take an assemblage, but the problem is I'm a communications expert from Boston. Are you people? Are your family members? And any one micro message you give, they're going to respond to. And they often go to the lowest common denominator. So that's my, that is advice number one is how do we get aware of the micro messages that we're sending? Does that make sense, Chris? It, it does. And, you know, it, it's funny because I, I never know where these interviews are going to go. Right. And, you know, we try to keep it very open and we, we tackle where they are. And, Yet, anybody who's listened to the show thus far, there is a clear theme of advice that is coming from people of all walks of life, including you, and that is the self-awareness piece, right? And, and so, it's, it's shown up in different contexts in different show. You know, when we do our work with clients and we talk about transformational leadership, right, we, we always highlight the very first step of becoming a transformational leader is self-awareness. Know thyself first, right? Know, know who you are uh, before you can really know others. You can't have real empathy, some people will say, with, without 
that level of self-awareness. Brene Brown, all the work that she's doing is about certain levels of self-awareness. And here you are again, you know, bringing the self-awareness piece is the first step to really being the, the, the great communicating leader you can be. Brene Brown says vulnerability is the birthplace of innovation, creativity, and change. So when you're vulnerable enough to receive those notes that tell you how you're coming across, that's when you're going to hit the jackpot again. And that's one of the things I love about you, for example, is that you thrive on feedback. You love that feedback. And people at the top of their game do. And often, you know, I'll say to a CEO, oh, man, you're defensive. And the CEO says, no, I'm not. And I say, well, thank you for proving my point. And it's like, like we're working on yeah. self-awareness. It's exactly what we're working on. Well, it's, it's, it's hard, though. I mean, it's hard to sometimes to receive it. Yeah, you know, I always want the feedback, but, you know, do I really want the bad feedback? I mean, you know, you know so for, for the listeners out there, uh, Michael has helped me with, with some things and has pointed some stuff out that, that require some real change of habit and things that, again, even subtle things that maybe I didn't have awareness for, but um, change of habit is hard. It's, it really can be. Well, I like the way you ended the last set, Chris, because you talked about presence, executive presence. And the thing is, the mistake we make about presence is that we think it's about being interesting. And what it's really about is being interested. That's what presence is, that you have to be more interested. And so if you've developed habits to make yourself more interesting, you're right. You do now have to look at habits that make people more interested. And and what I love about your your interviewing style is you you really connect the dots beautifully, because you can't tell someone where they need to get better at until you've honored them with what they're excellent at. And see, I don't think of any of this as negative. When I tell you things you need to get better at, it's because I love you. It's because I want you to be better. You may not hear them, though, if I haven't earned my credits when I've told you what you're excellent at. And I've copyrighted this. I call it TSP, Truthful, Specific, Positive Feedback. Because think about that word feedback, Chris. It's a compound word. And so what's the first word in feedback? Feed. First letter of truth is T. First letter of specificity is S. First letter of positive thinking is P. TSP with a period after it in a simple recipe is teaspoon. So I believe we nurture and feed the people who come to us for criticism with that very criticism that we give them on a daily basis. And so that's what I do with executives. I'm giving them that feedback. I'm telling them all the places where they're excellent. And then I earn the credits to tell them where they need to get better. How do you validate how do you validate that somebody is a good client fit? One of the things that comes to my mind is there are, there are people who are not self-aware. I mean, I've come across them, you know who they are. And you know, quite frankly, they don't, they don't really want to be, they have a belief as to who they are and kind of don't care. Some of them to the point where they they probably could get a, a clinical diagnosis, whether it's narcissism or megalomania or some, something like that. And I would think that, that, those are not the people you want to work with. I mean, they might be talking to you because, oh, just somebody gave me this idea. But how do you, how do you weed out the ones that can really move versus the ones that don't? There you go, asking brilliantly provocative questions again. It's just a, a question that I don't remember being asked ever in an interview. What you just asked me. It's it's so fascinating the parallels with directing. It's the same answer if you ask me when you run an audition, how do you know whether you're going to hire the actor or not? What does the actor need to do? So what I do both in the pre-screening of a new executive client and in the audition of an actor is I give feedback, free, generous feedback. I tell people what I see, and I always start with all the excellent things that I see with great specificity. And then I tell them things I want them to work on. And then I watch their micro messages, Chris. Do they deflect? In both categories, by the way. Because mm-hmm. some people, when you tell them what they're excellent at, 
they're deflecting it. They even say, no, I'm not. Oh, you just say that to all the boys. Yeah, go tell my wife that one. She needs to hear it. They make fun of me. And so then I call them on that behavior. And it says in Matthew, don't hide your light under a bushel. What does that mean? It means if you have an incandescence, if you have a light and I notice it, you have to say thank you. It's not about you. It's about me. So in that screening, I give feedback all over the place. So even if they're not my client, I want to make sure they've gotten value from the screening. Even if we choose not to work with one another and we always make the same decision, I want them to have a valuable experience with me. And the same in the audition. Auditioning is such a vulnerable, demoralizing process that people spend a long time preparing for. And so when they walk in that door, sometimes they're given 60, 120, 180 seconds if they're lucky. And then some boring, apathetic face says, thank you. And they go on their way. So living through that whole theater process as an actor and a director, making my own mistakes, I want to make that experience of the screening, the quote audition, rich. So I, and, and it's self-serving because then I can discern whether they're going to be a good fit with me or not. And if they say thank you for the feedback and I see their face light up and they're appreciative, let's rock. Let's do it. If they're deflecting, I still give them a chance, Chris. I call them on it. And if they say, wow, you're right. I do that. Mm, thank you. And if they still deflect, those are two different verdicts for yeah. whether it's a fit or not. Yeah. You know, it, it's important for those of us who are in kind of the consulting world of one form or another. Um, not every client is a good client. Not every, we're not, we're not all a fit for everybody. And I think that, that being able to select those who can really value and utilize what you give is, is important because, you know, as you mentioned before, you want to help as many people as you can. And there are some people who, you know, they don't want, they don't really want the help. They, they, you know, they, they don't, they can't really capitalize on it. I can remember one prospect that I talked to was clearly looking to hire me back in the day when I was doing more coaching than what I do today, because they thought it would just be cool to have a coach and say, well, my coach tells me this, my coach told me that that's not the reason why to do it. It really isn't. And so it's, it's nice. Uh, we've got, you know, just, just a few minutes left. Um, and you know, I want to make sure we save a moment to talk a little bit about what you've got going on right now. Uh, Having said that, is there one other bit of advice? When we talk about the, the role of the CEO as an actor, uh, if there's maybe one major takeaway for them, you know, beyond, let's say, the authentic, you know, building the authenticity and, and staying true to who you are, what would be one other thing that you'd want them to take away out of this? Turn obstacles into opportunities. It's, if it isn't COVID or Black Lives Matter, it's going to be something else. Right now, it's a convergence of those two things. They're going to be obstacles. And I, I told you, I started my career as a high school drama teacher. 22 years old, I get a call one day. And, you know, remember telephones didn't have caller ID yeah. way back when. And so you answer the phone and the woman says, hi, I'm Diana Golden. There was silence. I didn't know who she was. She said, I'm an Olympic skier and I've won a medal. And Chris, I love the Olympics. I watch them faithfully. And I didn't know who she was. And she said, I hear you're a great coach and I want to hire you as my coach. And my topic is called turning obstacles into opportunities. And I'm a speaker and I want to get better at this. Chris, I was so excited. I just made an appointment with her. There was no Google. I couldn't Google her. I, I, I didn't even have time to go to the library. Do your listeners know what a library is? I hope. And so I went and I went to her house without doing any research, Chris. You never do this now. Knocked on her door. And when Diana Golden opened the door, she had no legs. She had won a medal in the Paralympics. Yeah. When she was in elementary school, she realized she was never going to be good enough to be an Olympic skier, which was her dream. Somewhere around junior high, she got a disease that took her legs. And when she was in high school, she said, now's my chance, baby. And with a straight face, she stood there, big smile, Chris, on her face, telling the world how lucky she was that this happened to her because she got to fulfill her dream. Now, whatever disease took her little legs eventually took her whole little body. 
and she's no longer with us, but that stayed with me. Let's turn obstacles into opportunities. Instead of whining about what's wrong, how can we pivot and make that an opportunity for us to be excellent? That's outstanding. And unfortunately, that's the end of our time. Maybe we can do this again sometime. But before we, um, before we go, uh, you know, I, I want to give you an opportunity. You, you've, got, you've got an event coming up. Um, can you just give us a, a moment or two on that? Sure. I'm going to do events all next year and the year after that. It's December 1, Tuesday, December 1, for three hours, 1 to 4 Eastern Standard Time. I'm going to take no more than 25 people. I'm going to put them on the screen, and I'm going to coach them like crazy. I'm going to give them an opportunity to ask me questions and for me to give them feedback about how they come across virtually, how they're going to upgrade their virtual presence and be more excellent in the virtual environment no matter where we are going forward. And you can find out about that on michaelalasso.com. Uh, go to my website, but it's you and your best Zoom day now, Chris. That's where we're at. Yeah, and I, I'm just going to share with all of you, the listeners. You know, we have the opportunity of of being able to to see each other, and and of course, you're you're listening to this via either the radio show if you're listening to it live or through the podcast. I, I wish you could see Michael the animation, how he presents himself, how engaging he is. And uh, he can certainly help you get there as well. I, it's, it's, it's something that's super important for all of us. Uh, let's face it, video conferencing, video communication is here to stay. Whatever happens with COVID, the world has changed. and We have a new normal. Um, it's here to stay. And I think we, we all owe it upon ourselves to do the best we can to shift and, and turn these obstacles into opportunities, as, as you put it a moment ago. Um, if, uh, if, if you don't remember how to get a hold of them, you're always welcome to reach out to me through, uh, through the listener website, uh, through our show. You can go to my website, the Chris Elias. Uh, well, actually, it's chriselliasauthor.com. Don't have the new one up and running yet, but uh, chriselliasauthor.com um, is another way to get a hold of me. Um, reach on out. And I hope you've had a chance to enjoy this show today. I hope you're all walking away with something that you can put into, uh, into use. Be your authentic self. Michael, thank you for being with us. My pleasure, Chris. Thank you. And uh, stay tuned next week. Another great show coming up. Until then, thanks for listening. Thank you for joining Chris Elias for this week's edition of Transformative Experts. We hope you'll tune in again next Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a good week.